Okay, we're doing something a little bit different this week, but I like it. We are taking something straight from the headlines because we thought it was so important in case you missed it last week. Briarly? Yeah, so last Tuesday, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, that really is a mouthful, came out with these big recommendations about anxiety screening. Yeah. I saw it all over the headlines. Obviously, I look for these things, but it's really, really exciting. So you want me to read it? Yeah, I was going to say, will you read the recommendations? Okay. All adult patients under 65 should be screened for anxiety. But here's the key part. This recommendation applies to adults age 19 and older, including pregnant and postpartum persons, and those who do not have a diagnosed mental health disorder And those who are not showing any recognized signs or symptoms of anxiety. So basically... Everybody. Everybody has to be screened. Everybody. like, Even if they seem perfectly mentally well. Yes. Yes. So that's why this is a big deal. Now, they earlier this year, they made this recommendation for children between the ages of 8 and 18. Also very important. I wonder why they cut it yeah. off at eight. Maybe it's just easier once they know, hit that age. I don't know, but I feel like anxiety starts earlier. But who knows? But I think what is so key is this is specifically, well, this is assuming doctors are already screening those that are showing signs of anxiety because this recommendation is specifically for those who do not have any kind of diagnosed mental condition yeah. and those who are not showing any signs or symptoms of anxiety. Which kind of shows how prevalent they feel anxiety is in our society. Yeah. Well, and also how big of a burden on our society it is, which I don't love that word burden, but it's really the only the only word I can think to use because it it takes a toll on our mental health. It takes a toll on our economy. It takes a toll on anybody who's related to that person or you know, connected to that person, even like just to your relationship socially. It affects your parenting. It affects your job. I mean, it affects everything, everything. And so it has these like long, you know, uh, tentacles, another word, that's the only word I can think of. But anyway, so it really has these like broad sweeping implications. And if, if it's diagnosed earlier, that's always great for the person and everybody related to them. But then the other part, too, that they talked about in this report was that the time between diagnosis and treatment is usually pretty long. And you and I have talked about that before, too. Like in one st- statistic we had seen uh, and, that, and that we referenced in previous episodes was that there's like about 11 years between a diagnosis and receiving yeah. treatment or on, sorry, onset and receiving treatment. And so one of the things that they were saying in here was that they wanted to try and shorten that, um, that, that time. timeline yeah. between onset and treatment. Yeah. And the, the recommendation in the document of the recommendation, it actually says years long delays in treatment initiation are the norm, which That's is crazy. sad that it's the norm. Yeah. Yeah. And it said recognizing doing these screenings could alleviate years of suffering. There was also something where they talked about how that it is often not only is it 
undiagnosed, but that it's very common to not even really be detected, even for the person who's experiencing it. So yes, people, yes. And read those symptoms or where was that and what we found? It said that um, one particular study found that only 13.3% of patients with generalized anxiety disorder presented with anxiety as their chief complaint. Okay, so 87% of patients with generalized anxiety disorder don't present with anxiety as their chief complaint. More common complaints they were saying in patients were things like somatic complaints, which I had to go look up, and that's like pain or um, fatigue or um, like this like fixation on being hyper other on. symptoms yeah. um, being short of breath and then so that was one somatic complaints uh, sleep was or sorry sleep disturbances was another complaint and pain so basically these patients who actually have anxiety are going to their doctors and, and complaining of pain fatigue not sleeping well all these other things but really they actually the have root anxiety. cause is anxiety yeah and i but i wonder how many doctors are picking up on that that's what i'm scared to think about like are they just writing them a script for like sleep medicine i mean they could be they very well could be i mean i did have this conversation with a coworker the other day about um you know kind of like a teaser to a future episode you and i've been talking a lot about adhd yeah and doing some episodes on adhd and one of the things in in like pulling together some resources that I found was that because is that it's very common for people with ADHD to also present with either depression or anxiety. Mm -hmm. And then what's interesting is that sometimes in some patients, once they get their ADHD under control, they actually are do like much better with their anxiety because really the anxiety was bubbling up because of untreated ADHD. I can see how the ADHD and anxiety might drive each other. But so Um. that way I can see how people are fatigued and having sleep disturbances and, and really like they're having anxiety, but they don't know to connect the dots. Physicians might not be asking all the questions to connect the dots. So they're just like, here, let me prescribe you something to help you sleep. Yeah. Which may help. But, you know, let's be honest. I think we've both said, I mean, I have had a couple of instances where I, this is anxiety. You know, like yes, early this year, I was like, this is anxiety. I can't, you know, I knew blatantly. But um, past symptoms when I was dealing with anxiety, it was not until someone said, you have anxiety. And I was like, huh, what? Because I was complaining of other Symptoms. I couldn't focus. I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't. It was my sleep was disrupted. You know, and it took someone else saying it because it's kind of vague. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And you had this similar. I did. Yeah. Experience. I I didn't realize that I was having an anxiety attack. I, you know, I didn't. I hadn't. Well, I've I've shared before about how that I didn't actually know that I had anxiety until I experienced an anxiety attack. And at the time, I didn't even know that it was an anxiety attack. I thought I was just like panicked or, you know, but I had the shortness of breath. I had the heart racing. I had the inability to focus. And it it was my therapist that was like, when I recounted to her what happened, she's like, oh, that's actually an anxiety attack. Wow. 
And so it it's yeah, it is a sneaky I I personally I'm not speaking from a medical standpoint. I personally think that anxiety actually is more sneaky than depression. Yeah. I would agree. I would agree. Um but I think these recommendations are amazing. I hope that they become something that actually, you know, comes to fruition, right? Yeah. Like that it becomes that, a mandate. Yeah. But one of the things I said to you, and it's so funny, like Carolyn, for our yeah. listeners, like Carolyn knows me so well now that she, that I was like, so this is as we're, I'm reading through these like, notes that carolyn has pulled together i'm like well this is amazing i'm really excited about this but you know what is really messed up is like well what <laughs> happens once they actually pass these like more people are just going to get diagnosed with anxiety like then what and not have coverage right. you know? not have coverage and not, i said you know. scroll on down to the last page Briarly. exactly <laughs> because what did not get picked up in the media last week when these were published um i guess it wasn't as sexy but this um this document from the preventive services task force recommends mental health benefits legislation as well and it says it should involve changing regulations for mental health insurance cover um, coverage to improve financial protection and to increase access and use of mental health services um and they said what they were pushing for was um, having no greater restrictions on mental health coverage or having the same coverage for mental health conditions as we have for coverage of our physical health conditions. And, you know, I'm like, wow, wouldn't that be amazing? But it makes sense. Why don't we? It really makes no sense that your body gets like paid for more by your health insurance yeah. than your mind but screw the mind i mean it's separate it's separate from the body do you not separate. know that it's separate, from, <laughs> it's separate from the body because you know what happens in the mind doesn't affect the body at all yeah <clears throat> but what this um you know i'm sure insurance employers are thinking oh that'd be ex increasing expenditure oh, yeah this yeah. um there was an economic review um, that they cited that indicated that mental health benefits, expanding the mental health benefits, did not lead to any substantial increase in cost to health insurance plans. Measured as a percent of premiums. Yeah. Like, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this task force, what they did was they, and and this is what I love about task force. Like, I would say that the dietary guidelines, like, task force subcommittees whatever like that they often try to do when they're making their recommendations they try to do this it's like all right so there's like the pie in the sky and then there's the reality and then they take the reality and then they they take every potential argument that anybody might have and they find an answer yeah it might not be what you want to hear like maybe they would say this is going to cost everybody well, hundreds of dollars more every year but I feel like this is a little different from the guide from the nutrition guidelines because those are through the federal government. This task force is independent. Tell of me the more government. about this task force. I didn't. I did not. Read I did up not on realize it either. Closely. So it was formed in 1984. It is a volunteer panel of national experts in prevention and evidence evidence based medicine, um, and so it is experts across the country form this. 
task force wow. and they are their goal is to improve the health of people nationwide by making evidence-based recommendations um, about preventive screenings counseling services preventive medications so i'm not saying that the our federal guidelines are not accurate or not recommending what we really should really need but i felt like this task force because it isn't independent of the government they could say what they wanted to say like yeah. and put it out there and unfortunately i don't think i think probably some stuff isn't put in like the dietary guidelines that we oh. should probably be in there yes yes well so. i think it's really exciting um i also love the fact that they've made the same recommendation for kids in the past and as i was reading through i realized I did not know this, that they, they made this recommendation in 2013 regarding screening depression. for depression, which in hindsight, I do feel like people, I don't know that I've been screened, but I definitely feel like I've been asked about I feel my like mood. practitioners are definitely more aware yeah. and cognizant, and maybe they're not asking every, I, I feel like there's... I didn't realize the guidelines were initiated in 2013 either, but I feel like there has been more focus by health professionals on depression now and yeah. looking for it. Yeah. So maybe that'll do the same thing for this. I just, it's going to be key for that legislation to change. Um, and yeah. it's going to be key that the health professionals actually know what to, how to help a patient once they get screened and they do have anxiety, yeah. you know? And yeah. I, I don't know if those resources are out there That's or if true. every practitioner is going to be good at that. True. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, and, and the reality is that it's a really great example of like, when you say that, like every practice, uh, not every practitioner is going to be good at it. They're not, they're also not supposed to be, you know, like, like a physician needs to know how to screen, but they're not a mental health professional. Right. And so, but hopefully, right, if if something like, I'm thinking like down the line, like big picture, like hopefully this will then encourage more people to want to get into mental health so there are more practitioners that can service people. Yeah. Like we, we talk a lot now about how hard it is to get a therapist. Like my therapist is retiring. Yeah. I'm like, I don't, I, I haven't figured out what I'm going to do Try a psychiatrist. Yet. Oh, gosh. Or a child, yeah. or a child psychologist, psychologist or psychiatrist. Yeah. I mean, I think months. I, I think I sent this to you, and I don't think you ever responded, but that's okay. <laughs> um, I was watching, I think maybe it was 60 Minutes oh, a couple yes. of Sundays ago, and it they were, had this doctor on, and I can't remember where she was now, but I looked up her practice, actually. She's a pediatrician, and she has created an office for mental health services there because she would give people recommendations of where to go, and then they never did it, or it was months for the appointment. So she has, like, a counselor. She has several resources, and she said the kids feel okay going, too. They're more apt to go because they know the office already. It's their pediatrician's office. Right. Right. So it just seems like another part of their health care, but it also gets those kids in. They're yeah. much more likely. I thought, that is genius. Well, and children, too, are also, they're trained over the, their life to go to the pediatrician, that it's a safe space, that it's, mm -hmm. you know, a helpful space. Like, at least that's the goal, right? So, but 
but I would say just with my own experience with my kids is my my younger daughter was more hesitant to go and talk to a psychologist because she didn't know the person. Mm -hmm. She'd never been to that office before. So what helped? Well, the fact that it's the same office that I go to, but a different practitioner. So like mommy goes to this office all the time. Everybody here is so nice. Then her older sister started to go and she only wanted to go to the same person that her sister went to because Uh, that's who her sister goes to. Yeah. So that like pairing in a pediatrician's office is awesome. It's awesome. It's really awesome. And I do remember when you watched that. Yeah. I was so sad about that. What? I remember specifically it was the Sunday of Labor Day weekend. Oh. And now in hindsight, I'm like, that's a terrible time to air such an important segment on 60 minutes yeah yeah it really was well if you need another trick to get your child to go to talk to somebody i have one that i have used that worked really well i love this one um i wanted my 15 year old daughter to go she was having no part of it Mm -mm. not interested nope no, Didn't thank she you. say that other people in her family needed to go, but not her? <laughs> probably. Okay, knowing I, that's her, like probably. ringing a bell in my mind. Probably. So I said, "Well, I'm going with your brother, and I really need you there to to help with the discussion and get him talking and that kind of thing." And she went for her brother, and she loved it so much. She. Um, she started going and now she is obsessed with it in fact barley i meant to send you this message um where'd she say i tried to call her she had an appointment this week that was from four to five and so i called her at 505 my mom was picking her up um and she says in therapy julia is saving my life please do not disturb I thought, okay. Okay. Yes, Julia, take the reins. Take the reins. Take the reins. So that's another trick you could employ. Yes. But. Yeah. Uh, Disguise it as family therapy or therapy for somebody else and in the family. She'll do anything for her brother, you know. Yeah. They they will often do a lot for their siblings. Yeah. So anyway, I think this is cool that we actually had something kind of live or in the news to share. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, we'll just see what happens, but I am 1000% for everybody getting screened for anxiety. Me too. Okay, well, we will be back next week. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for the Happy Eating Podcast. I'm Briarly Horton. And I'm Carolyn Williams. If you liked this week's episode, then don't forget to rate and leave us a review on iTunes and be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss a new episode. We can't wait to have you back at our table next week for a brand new episode. Bye. Bye. The contents discussed in the Happy Eating Podcast, such as advice, studies, text, graphics, images, and other material discussed or presented on the site or podcast are for informational purposes only content is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on the Happy Eating Podcast. If you are in crisis or think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. 
If you're having suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK, that's 8255, to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. If you are located outside the United States, call your local emergency line immediately.